I was going in for some um, meetings and one of the meetings was like voiceover and um, the the casting agent was like, okay, well uh, now do something other than Southern. <laughs> I was like, Ugh, I got no- I got nothing for you. And she's like, well do a grandmother. So I did it. She goes, okay, but can she not be Southern? I'm like, lady, no. If you, I got all different versions of Southern, but this is what I got. Hey, y'all, I'm Tommy Tomlinson. And from WFAE in Charlotte, this is Southbound. Conversations with people from all walks of life about how the South shapes who they are and what they do. This episode of Southbound is a replay of our 2020 conversation with comedian Fortune Feimster. Fortune tours all over the country and is a regular on late night TV. You can find two of her specials streaming on Netflix, including her most recent one, Good Fortune. She also has one of the best and funniest coming out stories I've ever heard. I picked this episode to re-air this week because it's one of my favorites, but there's another reason too. Call it numerology. We're posting this on January 4th, 2023, which happens to be my 59th birthday. The original airing of this talk with Fortune was the 59th episode of Southbound. So here's to the number 59. It feels pretty lucky to me right now. And here's my conversation with Fortune Feimster. So did you really realize you were gay by watching a Lifetime movie? I really did. Well, Um, so tell that story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll say first, uh, all of my stand-up special is true. Really? Um, And I just take some creative license here and there. So there are things that I sort of, uh, you know, add to to give it a little flavor. But everything's based on a very true story. Um, But, uh, yeah, that particular story was me realizing that I was gay. (laughs) And, and, you know, and a fairly advanced place in your life, right? Yeah, 25 years old, uh, which now seems pr- pretty crazy. Um, but I have to, that's what I was trying to kind of explain in my special is that it was a, a different time. And I am, you know, from North Carolina. I'm from this small town of called Belmont that's about 10,000 people. And I just did not grow up with examples of out gay people. Um, I didn't have any gay friends i mean now i have friends from belmont who are gay but they weren't (laughs) out either and uh you know their internet the internet didn't really become a part of people's lives until i was going to college and uh there weren't gay shows on the air and so i just really legitimately did not know that i was gay and it seems so naive now but that's just kind of the world uh, that we were living in at that point. And so once I moved to Los Angeles, I, uh, started seeing gay people and I, I started meeting gay people and, and nobody like thought twice about it. It was like, yeah, they're gay, but oh, well, I mean like, great, good for them. You know, life was normal. And, uh, you know, for someone from the South, uh, that just sort of blew my mind. Like you're like, oh, they're just normal normal people living their life there's nothing weird about it or bad about it and so that started to sort of like you know I think shift something in my mind and then I started seeing uh things like the l word and 
Uh, so I started seeing representation out there. And then I was 25. And uh, at this point, this feeling, you know, was sort of bubbling up. And I watched this movie, a uh, Lifetime movie called The Truth About Jane. I went um, and looked up clips of this movie. They put poor Jane through the ringer. They sure movie. did. She went through a, a real journey. Uh, her mom was played by Stalker Channing, right. uh, who we know from Greece. And yeah, this just I watched this journey of this this young girl, you know, realized she was gay and it was hard at first and her teacher helped her and then in the end uh her mom came around and uh, loved her no matter what, but you know, it uh I just sort of watched her coming out process and I was all by myself and I legitimately went at the end of the movie I go, "Oh my god. I'm gay." And I said it out loud. And it really was the first time that I'd ever admitted to myself that I was gay. And so I was like, I have to share this story because it's, A, so embarrassing. <laughs> and B, just like, it, it, hard to believe that that was the catalyst, but it, it really was. And, and did you go out the next day and start saying, well, I'm going to, I'm living as a gay person now. I'm going to go find women to date and I'm going to, you know, how did that sort of transform your day-to-day -day life? Well, I certainly um, had to start from scratch because I I didn't have any gay friends at the time, only because I was new to L.A. and I didn't have any friends in general. <laughs> and uh, so I did think to myself, like, you know, I have this newfound uh, revelation. Uh, I mean, I could look back to my entire life and be like, oh, yeah, clearly I've been gay my whole life. Uh, but now that I was aware of it, uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta make gay friends. I need people to kind of show me the way. And, uh, so I, I like sort of set on this like gay journey, uh, to meet people. So I like went on, <laughs> it's another embarrassing story. I went on Craigslist. Oh, and where, started... where you find nothing but honest dealers there. <laughs> right. But at the time, uh, Craigslist was popular, for activity, like people would uh, post, like, oh, I we have an ultimate frisbee sure. match, or like join our uh, soccer team. And um, it, and at the time, it was a like pretty active place. And so I went on there and started joining all these like groups and teams. And uh, and in my my quest to find gay friends, uh, and it worked actually. I <laughs> met so many people uh, who I'm still friends with to this day, and they kind of showed me the way. So where you're from is mm -hmm. Belmont, which is a small town, but adjacent to mm -hmm. a bigger town uh, of Charlotte. Do you think if you'd grown up in Charlotte, say, that you would have figured all this out faster? It's possible. I mean, you know, Belmont is about 25, 30 minutes from Charlotte, but it does feel like it's kind of its own place, especially back then. It was even more isolated. Um, I didn't really know a lot of people that would go to Charlotte to hang out unless they were just flying to, you know, out of the airport. But um, we just kind of seemed like our own, almost like an island in a way, where we just, um, things were just a little more uh, simple. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't even think people locked their doors till I was like 15. Um, and so... Yeah, it just I, I I assumed if I had been in Charlotte, maybe I would have been exposed a little bit more. Um, but still, it was a sign of the times. Like on a broader scale, there there wasn't 
a lot of representation out there. Somebody had written to me about my special. They were like, yeah, but like Ellen came out. And um, I said, you're naming one person. You're telling me your your example to me of there being representation is one person who came out and then didn't work for the next four years. Right. I think people forget you that know? part that she was sort of shunned yeah, she, for quite a while. She could not get a job. And she started talking about it again recently. She could not find work for the next four years. Her show got canceled. She No one wanted to hire her. So, you know where it seems now like this huge triumphant moment, which it is, uh, she was not in any way rewarded for that. She was, if anything, punished. So, you know, you, so you're, the one example people would give me of there being representation is also followed by, uh, you know, being shunned. When you don't see yourself out there in the world and you there's nothing you can relate to, it, that does that does make a difference. I want to ask about kind of seeing yourself in the world and kind of how your family sees you and and mm-hmm. and saw you about in the world. So you shot your special here in Charlotte. Yes. Um. And I, first of all, who all from your family was there? Um. My whole family came. Uh. My my mom, my dad, and his uh, my stepmom, my brother and his wife. My other brother and his wife couldn't make it. But there were I, a lot of friends from college, a lot of people I grew up with. Half my half mm. the audience was in my hometown. <laughs> uh, they were all so super supportive. I had like so many familiar faces in the audience. One thing that made me wonder with all those people that you knew there, are there any jokes that you would tell, like maybe on Friday night at the comedy store, mm-hmm. that you would not tell when you knew <laughs> all those people were out there? Well, I definitely wanted this special to be, not, it's not clean per se, but it's not like, uh, there's, I'm not like yelling a bunch of cuss words just to say it. Right. There's, uh, there's blue parts, but it's not like deep, dark blue. Exactly. That's why I called it sweet and salty is because for the most part, it's pretty sweet and, and clean, but every now and then I get a little salty <laughs> and uh, and say some things. But I wanted it to be a special that pe- a lot of people could watch, a lot of people could relate to. Um, so in in that regard, I kept it, you know, uh, I don't know, pretty baseline where everybody there, even my own family, <laughs> wouldn't mm. be like cringing. Um, but sometimes when I do shows in the clubs, if I know my mom's there, I'll sort of purposefully. Uh, you know, do a little dirtier joke just to, and then I'll be like, oh, and, and my mom's here. And <laughs> and it makes people really laugh. <laughs> so for me, it's just a personal uh, giggle uh, than anything. But, I, you know, I, I try not to get uh, grossed or I don't know what you would even call it, blue or dirty, because um, that's not really my sense of humor. Occasionally I will throw something in because I think it's funny. Um, but for the most part, it's it's usually on the the lighter side. I, I wonder, you, you talk about in the special how your brothers reacted when you told them you were gay and mm-hmm. how your mom reacted. Your mom is now a big PFLAG member, like president of the local chapter or something, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But I wonder how that extended to like aunts and uncles and cousins. I mean, everybody's got somebody in their family who probably wouldn't take something like that well. Right. And I wonder how... Like at 
holidays or <laughs> family reunions? I mean, has, does this, did that stuff come up when you first came out or, and has it since, or are, are there people you have to sort of tiptoe around or they have to tiptoe around you, they think? Luckily, in a weird way for me, the, the one bonus to coming out later in life uh, was that I was already living in LA and sort of established my own life. So I wasn't in a town where I felt like, oh, I'm living in a place where I don't know if my, you know, quote unquote lifestyle or who I am is okay. Um, luckily I'm from, uh, you know, I think the South gets a bad rap in general as being one thing or closed minded and, or, you know, so conservative that they are not accepting, but that's not the case for me in my hometown. I mean, everyone in Belmont has been so supportive, so lovely and and I always feel welcomed back home and uh and that means a lot to me um as far as like my own family I I come from a pretty liberal family uh <laughs> being from the south um my my mom has always been uh you know very open minded and so I never had any um hesitancy or or I mean I was it was, it was hard having the conversation of I'm gay cuz that's just a weird conversation to have Right. But but luckily, my family, my immediate family, was super supportive, and it's never ever been an issue. Um, I do have I do have some cousins uh, that are very very conservative, uh, and you know the kind who like uh, post on Facebook all day every day about how much they hate Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I did I I did have one cousin. All the other cousins are lovely and have been very accepting they have their views i have my views but we find common ground and it's all good uh but one particular cousin um back back when uh you know gay marriage had not passed yet and california was having the prop 8 um votes where we were voting uh on the state level about gay marriage and it failed uh and i posted something on facebook about being you know very disappointed and yeah, you know, and I'm sure there was some like frustration in that and some anger in that, and uh, I had a cousin respond on there that my uh, grandmother, who is deceased, and my uh, uncle, who's also deceased, uh, would be so ashamed of me uh, for being gay, and that oof, I'll tell you, that's a I low mean, blow. That's a low blow. Like I, you know, I could have somebody say anything else, but uh, you know about my whatever you want to call me names whatever uh, i can take it i have a thick skin but my grandmother was uh and i were very very tight she practically helped raise me and we always had a very special bond and uh to to for my own family member to say that someone who was so dear to me and 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 i had such a special relationship with for them to say that they would be ashamed of me was like nope uh, that, you know, there's no going back from that, uh, for me. So I have not spoken to that cousin <laughs> since. And I probably, I, there, I forgive a lot of things and, uh, I, I am not one to hold a grudge, uh, in life. And I, I'm always trying to find middle ground with people, but that was definitely a deal breaker. The story about how you got into show business is so convoluted. Mm-hmm. And and so amazing to me that I think in some weird way it might give other people hope when they don't see any like way to get there from here. 
Yeah. Um, could you sort of tell, I mean, the hearing it, it sort of starts with this graduation speech that you gave in college, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of college shows, and at the end of the my my sets, I always try to talk a little bit about my journey because I think it's important for young people to hear that you don't have to be born into um, a rich family or a connected family or go to the, you know, Ivy League school. That's the beauty of America. You can, you know, work your way up the ladder. And uh, I, growing up, you know, in such a small town in the South, would have never thought in a million years that I could, A, live in Los Angeles and uh, be happy there or B, (laughs) you know, become a comedian and be on television. It just seemed uh, impossible. Uh, But I just, some series of things in my life lined up to give me that opportunity and, um, you know, I had always kind of been, probably because I didn't know I was gay, I threw all of my attention into school, into overachieving, to being on all the sports teams, to making good grades, to being student body president. It's it's, it's so funny you say that because when I looked at your resume, so to speak, I was thinking, there's somebody who needed to burn off some energy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I was just trying to find validation, acceptance, love, you know, because I wasn't dating. I didn't have a boyfriend, you know, giving me that sort of like feeling of uh, being wanted or, you know, just I don't know, being the the object of someone's affection. So, yeah, I just threw myself into everything at school and uh and graduated summa cum laude which people seem shocked by uh but i'm like i know i have a thick accent but you know uh people with southern accents can be smart damn right Uh, and uh so i ended up being the the graduation speaker at my my small women's college in north carolina and we had a, a commencement speaker who was an actress um, in LA, who was from Raleigh, North Carolina. That's em- Emily Proctor, right? Emily Proctor, yeah. Who probably people might have seen on the West Wing or yeah, things like that. See us on Miami, right? Yeah. So she and I, uh, it, we it rained that morning, so we had like a long break before, uh, wait, you know, like waiting the for the rain to stop, and we she and I just hit it off, and you know, found we had some common ground, and both being Carolinians and you know, close to our grandmothers and, uh, just, you know, had a really lovely conversation for, for that time before the speeches. And then I, I gave my speech and, um, and it went really well. And, and so she just kind of said, you know, that thing that you hear sometimes, like, let me know, you know, if I can ever do anything for you and you're like, great, you know, thank you. You don't think that that could ever really be a thing. Um, and to make a very long story short, I had plans for the, the next year to live in Spain uh, as just sort of a life experience. And I graduated with no money. I had like $50 in my bank account. And so I worked that whole summer, like eight jobs uh, to earn the money to go. And one of the jobs was babysitting. And her best friend called my school asking for some babysitter suggestions and they suggested me she didn't know uh, make the correlation and as soon as she called 
she's like your voice sounds very familiar and uh i was like uh she goes i just saw your graduation speech and um anyway i ended up babysitting her and then through that connection reconnected with emily and she ended up hiring me uh she said you know when you get back from spain get in touch with me if i have this job still available you can come out here and be my assistant and somehow i don't know how for a whole year um, she didn't hire anyone <laughs> and uh and i sort of just sent like an email at the end of my spain stay like hey uh wasn't sure if this was still available and she's like yeah come on out so i packed up my little i moved back home packed up my little car and my mom and i drove cross country uh for me to kind of start this new life when we come back Fortune Feimster talks about what Southerners might be better at comedy. That and more ahead on Southbound. Before we get back to this episode, I wanted to ask for a little help with something. If you enjoy Southbound, please give us a good rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast provider you have that allows such things. The more reviews and better ratings we get, the better chance there is that other listeners can find us. But to be honest, I'd just as soon you tell people about Southbound through good old word of mouth. If you could recommend it to just one person you know, somebody you might think would enjoy interesting conversations about the South, I'd be deeply grateful. If you have any thoughts about the show, guests to recommend, or anything that you think might make Southbound better, you can email me at ttomlinson at wfae.org. Thanks so much for giving us a little bit of your time. And now, back to my conversation with Fortune Feimster. The day of graduation, before you meet Emily Proctor and before you give the speech, what did you think you were going to be or what did you want to be? I wanted, I wasn't sure. I knew that I wanted more, whatever that was. I knew I was from a small town. I knew I went to a small college and college really, I loved my college and, I, and it was the place where I really started to figure out part of who I was and gain confidence. And I knew from, from college that I wanted more and, uh, I didn't know how to get that. And I remember very vividly having this, this conversation with my mom at uh, right around graduation of college. Cause I had such a great experience. I was so involved and I was a, like a, a big fish in a small pond at my college. And I, I remember saying to my mom, like, what if this is the best it's ever going to be for me? I was said, you know, I'm scared to graduate because what if, I mean, what if this is, this is it, this is the peak. And, uh, and she, you know, just kind of reminded me that, you know, that like to stay in one place is, you know, not, it's not good. She, I think used the book Tuck Everlasting, <laughs> but how everybody else moves on, you know, and you're stuck in a place. And, uh, you know, she just sort of helped me to see that, you know, you had a great experience here, but there will be more good times and you just have to let life unfold and see where it takes you. And, um, so 
I think I thought, okay, let's, you know, what's next? Maybe it's getting a master's or going to law school. I assumed it'd be something academic. Um, but I always had this pull towards, um, theater towards, uh, I had gone to an improv class and it blew my mind. So I knew it. I was like, Oh, I really like that thing on stage, but I wasn't very good at it. And, uh, I, I had very terrible stage fright in college. So it was not a place that I thrived. Uh, but in the back of my head, I think I always hoped that something would come of that world, but I just seemed so far fetched. And, um, and so when this, when Emily, this graduation speaker saying to me, let me know if I can ever do anything for you. That thing in the back of my head that had always been like, what if, what if, what if there's something in theater or stage or acting or comedy? What if this is the thing? Uh, I just remember it sort of ringing a bell in the back of my head. Like, well, maybe, maybe this is actually could happen. Um, so I just sort of let life take me where I felt like I was supposed to go. When you were growing up or in college or whatever, would your friends have considered you like the funny one? You know, like the funniest in your peer group or anything? In college, for sure, because at that point I had really come out of my shell. Growing up, not so much. <laughs> I was I was pretty shy growing up, and uh, I think part of it was because I was always, like I talk about my special, I've always been a big kid, always been chubby, and... And so I think, you know, when I was really young, that sort of affected my self-esteem. And so I was more of the observer. I would sort of watch what was going on around me. And I didn't realize what, I, you know, I was like taking in a lot of things that I would eventually later on in life regurg like spit out into characters and into comedy, into things. And uh, I had a pivotal um, self-esteem moment when I was 15 um, where I had, uh, gotten pretty overweight and, uh, just sort of reached a point of just feeling really bad about myself. And I finally just sort of made this internal decision that I didn't want to be so fat anymore. So I, I started eating better and I started running and just taking a better care of myself. And I ended up losing 50 pounds wow. at 15 and uh, I think it really just gave me confidence for the first time in my life. And I I suddenly was okay with people looking at me. I didn't feel so bad about myself. And so I remember a friend of mine had moved away during that year. I lost all that weight. And she came back and I was doing like kind of regurgitating all the skits from SNL. <laughs> and uh, like Mary Catherine Gallagher and the cheerleaders that Will Ferrell would do. And I remember her being like, Oh my God, you're like a whole new person. You're so funny. <sighs> and I think that really helped sort of start that, that journey where I was okay with being seen. So you obviously have a strong Southern accent and I'm wondering <laughs> when you got to Hollywood and you started, mm -hmm. you know, trying out for roles and any of that sort of thing. Did anybody ever ask you to like dial it back? I just, in the very beginning, I was going in for some um, meetings, and one of the meetings was, like, voiceover, 
and um the the casting agent was like okay well uh, now do something other than southern <laughs> I was like, uh, I got, no- I got nothing for you. And she's like, "We'll do a grandmother." So I did it. She goes, "Okay, but can she not be southern?" I'm like, "Lady, no. If you, I got all different versions of southern, but this is what I got." So uh, that meeting ended very quickly. Um, you know, I don't know. It it might have taken me longer to get some traction because of it. Um, I I was out here for a good. Uh, eight years before I got any acting job but um but it but I don't really remember people sort of hanging their hat on the the accent or making it a big thing it just seemed I think because I am already different I look different I have this big curly hair I I'm just like a broad shoulders I think people are already like well she's already different and the accent just sort of is part of that. So I think it's just become part of the package. Yeah, I do wonder. I mean, obviously you bring a unique, like you said, a unique set of attributes to the to the to whatever role you're in. Mm-hmm. I, I do kind of find myself looking at the the actors who have strong southern accents mm-hmm. in roles. And I think of like the guy who played Kenneth in Thirty Rock. And, you know, Danny McBride and people like that. And they all seem to be these sort of, like, wacky, you know, kind of semi, maybe maybe a little insane. Like over type, the top. Over the top. And I do wonder whether people who are casting those roles think, like, they couple those things together. Uh, maybe. I mean, but I, I think, too, like, a lot of Southerners are, aren't afraid to sort of be that way and laugh at themselves. A lot of Southerners that I know... Yeah, I guess that's that's sort of too seriously. That's sort of Danny McBride's whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. We're like in on you know, we're we're a lot of people don't realize that we're not being laughed at. We're like part of the we're in on it. (laughs) So you know, uh, maybe it's us just sort of like taking our own power back of like, no, we're not the buffoon. You're not laughing at us. We're we're in on this too, guys. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so I think that we're just. uh, you know, pretty fearless in that, in that way. Um, but you know, it, occasionally you get some, uh, well then you got the, the like Holly Hunters. There's, I think she's Texas maybe. That's but, true. Yeah. Uh, you know, who've really honed in on that dramatic thing. But I think Southerners and Southerners in general make good comedians because they're good storytellers. And so now you're in this reboot of the L word. Yeah, very, very briefly. Very briefly? Mm-hmm. So what what do you play in there? I play, uh, Alice uh, is one of the main characters, and she was in the original series. I play her warm-up comedian, who also happens to be her third cousin. And we sort of had this whole arc when they first asked me to do a few episodes where, you know, I've just moved to L.A. from the south, and she's sort of helping me find my way. And I think at the beginning of the series, they thought that they would be able to sort of explore this character a little bit. But once they got into the thick of the show, realizing that they had to uh, really service the characters coming back from the original series and then also service these four brand new main characters, there just was no time. So I just ended up, it was it ended up being more of a cameo than anything of just like, Hey, you know, welcome to Alice's show. But I was such a fan of the original series. As far as like, finally, we have some representation. 
um, that for me, it was just a treat to like get to be on set and, you know, just sort of reminisce about what that show meant for people. And it sounds like maybe you were on there long enough to have any love scenes. No, listen, I offered, I offered to do full frontal and, uh, <laughs> they go, no, thank you. <laughs> Is that the- oh my God. Talk about, talk about that would mortify my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is that some? I mean, do you think about yourself as the kind of person who might take on, not necessarily just a nudity, but a, a more dramatic role, something that's, you know, has different shades than what you've been doing in comedy? I, I, I would definitely do, I mean, uh, yeah, I no love scenes for me, uh, but I would definitely, uh, I definitely want to do something on the dramatic side because that I think comedians are able to sort of shift to that a little bit easier than people realize. Cause you know, a lot of uh, people's comedy is sort of uh, based on a, a painful experience an embarrassing experience and finding the funny in it. So at the root of comedy is uh, going through something. And I think comedians are able to emote that pretty well. Um, I do. Uh, I do see you as like the, the eventual revealed as the killer in like a law and order yes. episode or something. Oh, that's my dream. <laughs> I I want to be in like a horror movie too, or uh, something where it's just like, I'm, I'm the crazy person that's like been terrorizing people. Uh, and everybody, I, I, everybody laughs at you and <laughs>, laughs at your jokes yeah. until then. Right. Exactly. No, I would love, I would really love to, uh, get to do stuff like that. I got to do a, a very tiny bit uh, on Tales of the City, it was a, the reboot of um, uh, that series from a long time ago. They did it for uh, Netflix last summer, and I got I did a monologue that was kind of more serious, and uh, it, it was nice just to like sit down and and you know get to show some emotion and um, just kind of show a different side of myself. Yeah. Now I read that you you have a house back in Belmont, right? Mm-hmm. And how often do you get back? Um, I just a, I like a maybe four times a year. My mom lives there, so you know it's she's like taking over the place. Uh, <laughs> so I just I go back because I like to go home and visit my family, but also I have to make sure that she's not destroyed the house. <laughs> <laughs> so when you go back home, are there touchstones for you? Are there like things you have to places you have to go, things you have to do, that sort of thing? Oh, hundred percent. Usually it involves food. There's always like, all right, well, we got to go to this place and this place. I mean, always a classic for me uh, are two places. Uh, I always love to go to Barbecue King. Oh, yes. In Charlotte. That's a staple for me uh, and has been since I was little. Uh, always, And then I always love Bojangles because I don't get, uh, we don't have Bojangles, obviously, out here. Um, There's so many Bojangles, by the way, for those of you who are, not from the South is a is a chicken place, mm-hmm. a chain that's beloved in the South. And I, I remember yeah. reading some piece on Zach Galifianakis one time where he's driving somebody around his land in North Carolina, and there's Bojangles rappers rolling around the back seat. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a place that if you were from that area, you like everyone loves it. Uh, but yeah, I always am like, I always want to go to my favorite restaurants when I'm home. Um, you know, it's that good southern cooking, a lot of fried food. Of course. And, uh, you know, I just like going home because we have a porch. 
and rocking chairs and I can just sit out there and just like have some peace, you know, for a minute. We, I'll, I'll walk my dogs around the neighborhood and, you know, it just feels like, uh, I don't have to, everything's not so fast paced. It's like, oh, you can slow down for a minute. Sometimes it's amazing what we don't know about ourselves. Fortune Feimster didn't know she was gay until a Lifetime movie turned on the light bulb. But she also didn't know she was a natural-born entertainer until a whole series of circumstances landed her in Los Angeles. Most people who have success in life, personally or professionally, work hard for it. But dig deep into any successful life and you're also bound to find some lucky breaks. What you do with those breaks is a measure of talent and dedication. But many of us should take a moment to appreciate our, I apologize for this in advance, good fortune. Southbound is a production of WFAE in Charlotte. Our audience engagement producer is Joni Deutsch. Our main theme music comes from Josh Turner. You can listen to this and other episodes of Southbound on the NPR One app, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find Southbound on WFAE.org, where each episode has show notes with more information on that week's guests. See y'all next time. Thanks for listening.